This is episode 172 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are 5 Tips for a More Financially Independent and Self-Sufficient Homestead, How to Turn Your Family into Preppers, and Conflicted, How Valuable is Your Dead, What Would You Do? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, yesterday we were talking about uh, disabilities and medical, and and we were talking about uh, it kind of went all over the place uh, really yesterday. Uh, I, I got a, a message from Ray on um, episode 171, and he said, uh, or he left a comment, he said, Todd, I know that if there was an SHTF situation, I would be dead in approximately a month. I use an insulin pump so that I have to use insulin constantly. The reason I listen to your podcast and read articles is to help get my family prepared to survive. I have accepted that I will not be with them. I just want them to survive without me. Keep up the good work. You are helping my family. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. All right, again, that was from Ray. So uh, let me let me just talk a little bit from here. So I'm going to talk to you as not just... Uh, uh, the host of the Prepper Website podcast. I'm going to talk to you as a, as a as, as a pastor. All right, <clears throat> as, as a prepper and as a pastor, as a, a prepper, maybe say, let me correct that. As a prepper and a Christian, um, one of the things that you know people always, other Christians will always chide you on. Yeah, you don't have faith. I think that's junk. A, a lot of the times when people say that, that's they're coming from fear. So as a believer. Uh, I believe that we do everything that is possible, everything that is in in our ability to prepare, and then we trust on God to do you know what he what he's going to do. I really feel the Lord. I mean, when you go look at my story on Prepper website in the about, um, you know, I really came to preparedness, and it was a, a spiritual thing. It, w- it was from a time of prayer, and so I really believe that the Lord was leading me, you know, in this direction, and it just so happened that. I, I now have this uh, this platform with the website and the, and the podcast and stuff, and so uh, a true blessing in in all of that. But with that said, you know I know that you know I can do. There's so much that I can do, but then I'm I'm going to trust in the Lord. So when we get to that SHTF situation, um, you know a lot of things might happen. Yeah, Ray, you might pass away. Your insulin might be completely gone, and then from there. Whatever might happen, might happen, you know, according to the way the body and insulin and all that works, right? It seems like you're very prepared for that. But, and you, and you know that, right? I mean, I guess you can never be prepared for that, but you, you understand what would happen, right? Um, but from coming from a point of faith, you know that you've done everything that you could, but then you can't discount that God would not work in that situation and come through in a major, in a very, very big way. So, um, you know, possibly, and, and I'm just going to kind of throw that out there. Some people don't believe in this. But let's say you get to an SHTS situation. You get to the point where uh, your insulin has run out. And all of a sudden, nothing happens. All of a sudden, things are, things are going well. You're still as healthy as can be. And it, it seems like you were healed. So why couldn't God do that? 
why couldn't that? And I'm very, I'm coming very heavy right at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, so, uh, so, so sorry for that if it's a little too much for some of you. But uh, and I know there's a lot of new people listening. But why can't God do that? I mean, why can't we? Why we don't believe in signs, wonders, and miracles? Nowhere in the Bible did those things cease. Um, you know, Jesus said, "The things that I do, you will do even greater things." And so, why can't we believe that God can heal that way? So, uh, I, I am a true believer in that. When Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves, he had some. He had a place to start from. And so uh, I believe that, you know, we come and we bring what we can to the Lord and, you know, he can use that. He can heal. He can multiply food. He can do all of those kinds of things. Now, I don't I don't go into that. You know, if God doesn't do that, that's okay. He's still God. And I know that this world is not all there is. I know that there's going to be, you know, really, I, I am an ambassador for Christ. I am a citizen of heaven. This world is fading away. And so I'm here for a certain amount of time, you know, so I completely understand that. But I don't deny the fact that God cannot move in our situations and, and help in something like that. So I, I wanted to put that out there because faith, faith doesn't just play a part here and now. Uh, when we get to that SHTF situation, for those of us who are believers, Faith is going to play a very, very big role. And uh, so just w- wanted to kind of throw that out there. As, as I was reading that, that's really what was on my heart. And I uh, wanted to share that with Ray. But I know that there's a lot of other people that are listening who are probably going to be in, this, in the same situation. And uh, that's why, it, you know, faith in, in, in knowing, um, you know, knowing, knowing who your Savior is is so important. And those of you who you might not, you know, don't, you're not coming from a point of faith, um, you know, I would ask you to reconsider that and, and to, to really look into that. But if not, there needs to be something that you're prepping for, some reason why you're prepping. And uh, like Ray, Ray's got it both, right? He is a believer and he's also prepping for his family. So Ray, uh, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being open about that. And uh, I know that that is uh, that there's other people in the same predicament out there, and uh, that are you know that are kind of thinking about the same things. So uh, definitely something to always consider and always have your eyes you know on him. Do what you can down here, but always have your eyes on him. All right. So uh, we're gonna go ahead and jump into the rest of the podcast. Uh, go right into the articles, uh, and uh, want to start off with our first one from BeSurvival.com. Uh, again, this one's called Five Tips for a More Financially Independent and Self-Sufficient Homestead. But it's not necessarily just for people that are homesteading. Really, these things apply to, to really anybody. Uh, anybody who is, uh, wants to be a little bit more financially sound in their, in their finances, who wants to, um, you know, to, to be a good steward of what they have. And so you can apply these things even if you're not... Um, or you can apply these things and you can also apply the principles of these things even if you're not a homesteader. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Um, who would like a homestead that costs nothing to run and even provides a small income? I'll take one and I su- suspect anyone reading this would too. The dreams of quitting your day job and working your little piece of the world full time to make enough income to live on is the goal of most homesteaders and obviously the ultimate goal of anyone wanting to be fully self-sufficient. If you're looking for a homestead that provides the beans or funds to feed the animals and your family and can take care of the running and maintenance costs and anything else that may come around too, you have a lot of decisions to make and work to do. How to create a self-sufficient homestead. 
Turning a simple home and a plot of land into something that can provide enough income or raw materials to support yourself and your family is definitely one of those overwhelming where do I start projects. You know that you want, you know what you want, but how in the heck do you get there? How do you create a self-sufficient homestead? The answer is a lot of little steps, tiny bites, and lots of chewing. A self-sufficient homestead is an amalgam of possibly hundreds of tiny decisions put into action that equally physical progress toward the goal of living out of the modern grid and relying on your own means. The list of little small life changes you can make to slowly work your way into self-sufficiency is large. Literally hundreds of things to choose from, and we've covered some of them before. And so there's uh, four articles here that will be uh, relevant to you if you're interested in that. You can go check out. In this post, I'm going to talk about some of the most important financial steps you can take to help your, to help, help your homestead pay for itself and become more self-sufficient. Turn everything into an income stream. While we can and should cut our cash use to minimum and barter for much of what we need, we will always need some money. Eventually, you're going to need something you can only get at a store. And last I checked, Home Depot doesn't accept chickens for payments. So we must create ways of money to flow into your homestead. You shouldn't rely on just one income either. You need to create multiple income streams from your homestead. In fact, ideally, everything your homestead should be its own little money generator. You should look at every aspect of your operation from start to finish for creative ways to make an income. With a little creativity and thoughtful planning, you can turn just about everything into a small income stream. Here's a simplified example. Let's say a 50-pound bag of chicken feed in your area costs $14. You raise five laying hens that eat a 50-pound bag of feed once a, month, once a month and provide two dozen eggs every week. Your family eats all two dozen eggs every week. The cost of the feed is the price you have paid for having fresh eggs on demand, a $3.50 loss every week. Now, let's say you make an investment into a flock of 20 laying hens that eat a 50-pound bag of feed per week and provide eight dozen eggs every week. Your family eats two dozen eggs a week. You sell six dozen eggs per week for $3 per dozen, making you $18 per week in egg money. This covers the $14 cost of the 50-pound bag of feed plus $4 profit in your pocket. In the future, you make a one-time investment in extra fencing and a little wood so your hens can now free-range most of the day. This cuts your feed cost in half. Now you're profiting an additional $7 every week for a total of $11 profit every week for something that used to cost you $3.50 every week. $11 isn't going to make you rich, but now your eggs are an income stream instead of a bill. Now they are an asset instead of a liability. Do this for every area of your homestead and it will add up. Before you know it, you'll break even overall and quite likely turn a small profit at the end of the year. Do not waste. Use everything. Fix what's broken. Eat the leftovers and make do. Make waste not, want not your mantra. Downsize whenever you can. Buy an old farm truck for $4,000 instead of a brand new one for $40,000. Trade in the expensive tractor you're making monthly payments on for a used model. Don't build a huge barn when a small one will do. If you need a new refrigerator, get a quality used model for $300 instead of a 2500 privacy monster that can text your phone if you run low on cheese. Before you throw something away, find a use for it. Before it goes bad, find a use for it. Before you use it all up when less will do, find a use for it. 
This applies to the workings of your homestead too. If you have an imbalance somewhere, you must fix it. Using our chicken example from above, let's say some weeks you cannot sell all your eggs and they start piling up. Should you let them go to waste or should you reduce your price? Or maybe you should boil them up and feed them to the hogs to reduce their feed cost a little instead. Or maybe you have some cows or goats that you melt and most days you have excess milk. Don't let it spoil. Get approved to sell it locally or feed it to the hogs or give it away to neighbors at least. If a tree falls on your property, don't let it lay there and rot. Cut it up for firewood or to make fencing material or even paper products. If you find a wild honeybee nest on your property, don't waste the opportunity. Learn how to raise honeybees, then move them into a bee box and harvest their honey. If you ever have excess, always find a way to use it. If you can't, find a way to profit from it somewhere down the line. Just don't waste it. Everything should have a purpose. Don't hang on to things you don't need. If you haven't used a tool in over three years, consider if you should sell it. If your closet is full of clothes you don't wear, sell them too. Clean out the junk in and around your homestead. Minimizing what we own not only saves maintenance costs, but it frees the mind and keeps life simpler. Don't start projects you won't finish. Sure, making your own wool from Angora rabbits sounds like a neat idea, but if you think you might get bored after a few trimmings, then you definitely should not spend all the money to build housing and buy the rabbits. If they're not producing, they're draining your pocketbook and time. If you have any open-ended projects that aren't going anywhere or that you've lost interest in, cut them out. It isn't working for you, it's working against you. Make your animals work. If your old hens aren't giving you eggs, it's time for them to feed you in other ways. If you're spending gas and time cutting a field, fence it in and let the cows and goats mow it for you. Don't do anything an animal can do for you. Let the pigs plow, let the ducks weed your garden, let the cows mow the grass, etc. A working animal is paying their way. Grow anything you can. Beyond the obvious vegetable garden for your own needs, grow anything and everything you can. If you're buying it for your animals and can grow it yourself, plant it. Plant a chicken garden to cut down on feed costs. Plant sugar beets for hog feed. Plant vegetables just for your goats or rabbits. Plant hay for cows, goats, horses, and of course, bedding and ground cover. Grow herbs for natural medicine. Grow wildflowers in unused fields and harvest them for the farmer's market. Try to use heirloom open pollinated seed whenever possible so you can collect your own seeds. Cut your expenses. Go through your homestead budget with a fine tooth comb and be vicious. Every purchase counts no matter how small. If your homestead budget is the same as your family budget, divide them up. Create a separate baking account and treat it like a business. It's much harder to tell how prof profitable your homestead is if you're lumping in lattes from Starbucks and your kids' school supplies. Your tax man will also thank you. Always look for ways to save money and reduce your expenses day to day as you work and shop. Any money spent should have a purpose. Get whatever you can manage for free, for cheap, or for trade. Smarter homesteading practices will save you money too. Let letting your animals like I'm sorry, like letting your animals free graze and only supplementing with grain and hay when they need it. Be resourceful when you start or expand projects. For example, before you run to Home Depot for lumber and screws, get recycled pallets off Craigslist and barter for an old box of screws on your local Facebook group. Another way to save is to pay yourself less. A good family budget for budgets for food or fun and life will keep your overall expenses down, and that money saved can be kept in your homestead budget. Treat your homestead like a business. Keep your costs low, be resourceful, and make whatever you can yourself. 
Don't take on too many pet projects. Don't be wasteful. Make sure everything you're doing has a worthwhile purpose and try to make everything produce a return greater than what you have put into it. Just remember, the goats don't care if the shelter is made of pallets. The chickens don't care if the roosting bar is, is a stick you found in the woods. And the cows don't care how much you're paying for your truck. All right. Uh, there wasn't a, a comment here that I wanted to, to read. Um, so this article, oh, I'm sorry, this comment says, this article is full of good advice. If I could add one thing, it would be to not rush into adding additional aspects to your homestead before you've mastered what you've just started. It's taking me nearly 10 years to develop my place, and I've reached the point where I can feed myself a pretty balanced diet year-round off of my little farm. In contrast, I have a new friend who is making tons of mistakes by rushing from one new project to the next before gaining a good working knowledge of what she's already got started. It is resulting in failure, animal deaths, low to no harvest, and financial loss. So if you're out there and you are planning the jump to the homestead life, or maybe you are, uh, you know, maybe you're not like full bore leaving, leaving the, the, the job and, and going out to the country. Maybe you're just trying to, to find a couple of acres where you can do uh, raise some chickens and, you know, have a big garden and that kind of stuff. Some of this, uh, a lot, what well, not some of it, a lot, everything will apply here. But even, even so, even if you're not homesteading, I think it, it definitely these these uh, concepts apply where you're you know mo having multiple streams of income. I really believe that every prepper should have multiple streams of income in some way. So what is it that you you know besides your job, what is something that you do really really well that people would say you do well and and how can you get paid for that, right? So whatever it might be, uh, whether it's you know washing cars. I mean there's a there was a guy on Facebook that uh, in, in the local community uh, Facebook group that they were advertising, you know, washing a car and, and you, you know, getting started in business. And uh, they did an excellent job. You know, they were, they were doing this introductory price. So I went ahead and tried it out. And, man, I was very, very impressed. And so, uh, you know, something as simple like that, as that, making, you know, doing that on the weekends maybe or maybe after work if you have a, a job that uh, maybe is maybe part-time or something. Uh, you know, all kinds of things that you could possibly do, but what, what do you do well that you can turn that into another stream of income? And uh, so uh, you, you have that aspect, the aspect of don't waste. I mean, I know a lot of people who uh, they, uh, you know, they don't like leftovers. So whatever is cooked, if it's not eaten, it's thrown away. You know, that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the case. If you have to, if you can't eat it the next day, then at least freeze it or put it in the refrigerator and eat it in a couple of days. But, you know, don't, don't waste. Uh, so don't, don't waste things that are out there. If you can, fix things. You don't always need to go for the brand new thing. You can go for used things, and uh, they, they work just as well. So a lot of good advice here that anybody can really uh, put into play. I think uh, finances is one of those things that we should really, really consider and uh, really tighten up as much as possible uh, because, uh, you know, the, 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 the economy isn't very strong. It looks, it looks strong right now. The stock market is going up, but uh, one of the big reasons that's happening is because uh, funds and money are moving out of Europe and they're coming into, uh, you know, we're a little bit safer than Europe right now. And uh, so at least that's what Martin Armstrong usually winds up saying. Uh, capital flows are coming into the to the United States, but eventually, at one point, that's going to stop as well. So it's good to get our financial house in order. I think there's a big benefit for that. All right, our next article is uh, comes to us from PrepperBits.com. 
uh, PrepperBits.com, and the title is How to Turn Your Family into Preppers. This is always one of those uh, topics that's, uh, that's important, and uh, I think there's a lot of good advice here. So uh, I want to read this one, and hopefully maybe you can... Uh, actually, I'm going to stop a couple of times because uh, there's some things I want to give comment to. Um, but some good advice here, so uh, hopefully you get something out of it. Um, again, how to turn your family into preppers. Uh, let's go ahead and start reading this one. I recently wrote an article called Reluctant Prepper Family, which discussed why family members are reluctant or against the idea or emer- of emergency preparedness. This article covered, uh, or sorry, the article covered subjects like normalcy bias and budgeting issues. The purpose of today's article is to provide further insight and tips on how to turn your family into preppers. Changing people's outlook on anything in life is often difficult and sometimes impossible. Nonetheless, the following tips are ones I have tried and tested and wanted to share with you. Number one, slowly, slowly, catchy monkey. All right. As a prepper, you will have firm beliefs in the reasons why you prepare. You also are fully committed to becoming prepared for SHTF scenarios that concern you. When family members don't share your beliefs, it can be frustrating. Getting them to see the light is possible, but it needs to be approached slowly. If not, you risk strengthening their resistance to preparing, which is the opposite of what you set out to do. Remember to take things slowly so that you gradually, over time, they will build their own beliefs with regard to prepping. No one likes to feel rushed into making decisions, and such an approach will only result in the shutters coming down on you from the get-go. Number two, talk, don't preach. Remember your goal is to slowly change their minds by gradually demonstrating the benefits of preparing. This can slowly be achieved through normal conversation over a period of time. Talking as opposed to preaching is by far the better way to go about this. This is because preaching may come across as if you are trying to force them to change their minds. In general, people do not like being told what to do, so you need to make suggestions to them instead of lecturing them on areas relating to prepping. So it seems like such a long time ago now. now, uh, I don't remember ever forcing uh, forcing prepping on anyone in in the family, uh, or at least um, you know not like hey you know you have to prepare. Uh, You know I might have brought them along. You know like hey let's practice you know building a fire those kinds of things. Um, But uh, you know everyone looked at it more like a hobby. I guess uh, my hobby that I was doing uh, when when I first kind of started out. Number three is get outdoors. There are many elements to prepping, and in the early stages of getting people on board, you don't always have to label every activity as prepping. For example, visiting and walking, hiking in a rural and wilderness location as a family will help to strengthen the family bond. Once you are in that setting, you will have more opportunity to naturally discuss certain areas of prepping. For example, wild edibles or how to navigate. Something like uh, getting outdoors and um, just, you know, I'm just going to add my two cents here. Uh, maybe you have, uh, you could go to Home Depot and uh, if you live in, you know, in the, in the suburbs and maybe you want to do something like uh, starting to get winter time, starting to become winter, winter time, you know, at least a little bit more chilly. And uh, you can get, um, you can get one of those uh, uh, fire pits. And, uh, you know, you can uh, tell the kids, hey, we're going to do, you know, s'mores, we're going to, you know, roast marshmallows or whatever, but incorporate building that fire, you know, showing them how to build that fire, uh, you know, bringing them along on how to do that. All right, number four is alternative family holidays. 
Whilst we all love holidays in the sun and trips to theme parks, try mixing your holiday plans up a bit, for example. Every now and then plan to camp, plan a camping trip. A camping trip will introduce your family to skills such as living in the wild, sheltering, and cooking in the wild. These are all useful proper skills that don't initially have to be advertised as such. Number five, go fishing. Learning to fish is a fun activity that all the family can enjoy. As far as your family are concerned, you're just going fishing. But as they learn to fish, they are learning to feed themselves, which is learning to prep. As the saying goes, give a man a fish and you feed them for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Number six is martial arts. Learning martial arts such as karate is not a proper exclusive activity. Many non-preppers learn karate purely for self-defense. By encouraging some of or all of your family members to learn self-defense, they will be improving their fitness, confidence, and the ability to handle themselves in a threatening situation. Perfect skills for a prepper. Number seven, carry on prepping. No, this is not the title of a 1970s British film comedy, although maybe it could be. If your attempts to turn your family into preppers seems to be failing, don't worry because even the act of just carrying on with your own preparations and beliefs will over time cause family members to rethink their opinion. You may have heard people in the past say, oh, it's just a fad. After your family sees this is not the case, it may just prompt them to rethink their own approach to prepping. Uh, ask for help. Another way to get family on board with prepping is to ask for help. For example, I wanted to write an article that involved information relating to healthcare. So I asked my wife, who is experienced in the field, to help with some facts I needed for the article. Most people are enthusiastic about helping and asking for help regarding a prepper task can slowly get a family member around to your way of thinking. Number nine is the news. While it has its Faults, television news reports can be a great way to start meaningful conversations about prepping. Family members may not digest the info you directly give them about prepping. They are, however, usually far more open to what they see on TV news reports. Recently, there has been an increase in TV news reports about natural disasters, terrorist attacks, post-apocalyptic antibiotics, and more. When you're sitting as a family watching the news, this is the ideal time to gently bring up the subject of prepping. I can remember how many times I've been in that situation only to say, I'm prepping for that. Number 10, documentaries, TV shows, and films. In a similar way to TV news, above, documentaries are a great way to get the family into prepping. For example, if I watch a documentary about war, the family may not be so interested as if I watch a reality TV documentary like Celebrity Island with Bear Grylls. My point is choose TV documentaries, films, and reality shows that would interest family members for reasons other than survival. Once they are watching them, they are subconsciously learning about survival. An example of this is the other day when I was watching The Day After Tomorrow with my family and without any prompting from me, I was pleased to hear discussions about what they would do in that situation. Alright, so um, this is kind of one of the ones that really helped me out a lot. Um, it was a summertime and... Uh, one of the summers, I can't even remember when, uh, but it was early on in, in, in my prepping. And uh, I was sitting on the couch and we were watching a show and, and uh, uh, it was the Discovery Channel. And it was uh, after Armageddon. You can go easily to YouTube and uh, if you've never seen it, just YouTube after Armageddon. And so my wife was watching it. We were watching it together. I can't remember if I said, hey, will you watch this with me or if it was on and she just started watching it. But she watched it and it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, docu, it's a docudrama. So you have different people coming in and talking 
uh, you know, experts, but then you have like this drama going on in the background. And so, uh, you know, there's a pandemic and I've talked about it before on the podcast. Um, uh, anyway, if you haven't seen it, go check it, check, go check it out on YouTube. Um, but after that, um, after that docudrama, she said, you know what, maybe we should, um, uh, you know, uh, have a way to store water. That was the first, you know, we made our first prepper purchase together <laughs> after that, that video or after that docudrama. And so, um, you know, she's not, she's not a hardcore prepper, but she completely understands it and she appreciates, you know, all the work that we do towards it. And there's been things that she has done to help prepare and things that she does to, uh, uh things that she's learning as well. Uh, so, you know, we have that. Then, uh, not too long after that, um, you know, when I started my, uh, when I started prepper website, um, National Geographic contacted me because of the website to do reviews for Doomsday Prepper. Well, okay. Um, it was kind of cool to be contacted by National Geographic and they always sent you out a press kit. So I did the reviews. But I think the last year that Doomsday Preppers was out, um, they, uh, they did uh, a docudrama called American Blackout. And uh, I, I have that on Ed That Matters. You can kind of go to Ed That Matters and in the search bar type in American Blackout. Um, there was also a British version of it as well, British Blackout, I believe is something, is, I think that's what the name was. Um, anyway, you can find, again, you can find them both on YouTube, American Blackout and the British version, British Blackout. And um, so they sent, uh, they sent that one for review as well. So I had already seen it. And, uh, you know, one of the things was, you know, there's going to be like Twitter was going to be going on at the same time. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people were, were on Twitter and tweeting and watching the, the docudrama at the same time. So I asked my kids, I told them, hey, I want you all to sit down. I did a review on this one. I, I, it's good. I want you all to sit down. I want you all to watch it. I want you to tell me what you think of it. So I kind of forced them, kind of made them to sit down and watch it. And they were all, uh, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, they, they checked out. They were all interested in it. They all started watching it. Uh, one of my, you know, my oldest son who was on, who's on Twitter was following the hashtag. He's like, wow, there's a lot of people. You know, I can't even keep up with the tweets. A lot of people were tweeting about it, and uh, so they watched that. And so that was eye-opening. You know, about uh, American Blackout is about the the grid going going uh, being attacked, cyber attack, and out for ten days, and and what that does to society. So that helped out uh, the boys a lot. You know, again, they're not your hardcore preppers either. But uh, they are uh, very, very open to it. We've had a lot of conversations and talks about, you know, what would happen, how things would go down and different things like that. So, uh, you know, that uh, that was very, very helpful. So uh, they're out there and you can easily uh, share them with your family. All right. Number 11 is school activities. This tip mostly relates to younger children of school age. This is because many of the projects they are given at school can have a link to prepping. For example, last year my daughter had a project to recreate a World War II bomb shelter. This gave me the opportunity to talk in detail with her as to what these did, why they were needed, and why they still are, why they are not a bad idea in today's world. Remember, they are children, so don't be full on, but it helps them to understand why you prepare. Number 12, talk about your day. Talking is the best way to get across the benefit of becoming a prepper. Often the most effective way is indirect conversation. What I mean by this is you don't start a conversation with, why are you not prepping for an earthquake? Instead, you drop prepper-related information into the conversation as it naturally evolves. For example, you and the family are sitting eating a meal. You ask your wife how 
how was your day? And she tells you she in turn asked you about yours and you reply, your reply is, I cleaned out the garage to make more room for emergency supplies. In itself, it's innocent conversation, but nonetheless brings the subject of prepping to the forefront in a natural way. Number three, debate versus argument. When we feel passionate about something, it's very easy for a conversation to turn into a heated debate. A heated debate will have a negative effect because when people debate, they are attempting to prove why one person point, why, why one person's point of view is better than the other. Heated debates will often cause people to become angry. This then leads to an argument and further barriers rising. Number 14, prepper-related gifts. Making gifts of prepper-related items is a great idea. Items like folding knives, compasses, wallets, and pouches are just a few examples. They have multiple uses but can start a family member prepping. Number 15, prepper-related books. Just like prepper-related gifts, books are another great way to get across the importance of prepping. These books don't always have to be factual books like How to Tie Knots or Survive in the Wild. They could be fictional books that have a great story and relates to prepping and gets them thinking about the implications of failing to prepare. So uh, let me stop on that one. I don't have a lot of time to read books, so um, you know when I when I read like Mark Goodwin's books uh, or other books out there, I, I get the Audible version, and so you really that was a big factor in me starting this podcast and really kind of staying with the Audible format. I don't have bumper music at the beginning or at the end. I'm trying not to do that. I'm just trying to stay purely audio, um, but I do listen to a lot of audio books because you know when I'm out there driving and, and stuff like that. And so when I'm when I'm listening to uh, Mark Goodwin's uh, stories, it always gets the kid, kids interested. So I go pick them up, or we're running an errand, or we're doing something, and I and I plug it in, I turn it on, and uh, you know the the story is going. And there's been times where we have uh, you know come to come home, and we're in the driveway, and I'm about to turn it off, and they're like, wait, 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 you know, let's let's finish out the chapter, you know. And so uh, you know that might be a good idea if you are. Uh, you're traveling for a vacation or, you know, we have Thanksgiving holiday coming up or Christmas holiday coming up and you're going to be in the car for one or two hours. Um, that might be a good idea. Did you get, uh, you know, some audiobooks using Audible and uh, listening to them and you, your family would be listening to them as well. Um, there's some good stories out there uh, as well as all the preparedness things. So uh, the good thing about Mark Goodwin's stuff is that it's all clean. Um, if you're looking for a faith, faith-based one, um, you know, all his are faith-based and they're cleaned and uh, you can listen to them around the kids. All right, number 16, games. Another really good way of getting family members interested in prepping is to play prepper-related board games or card games. For example, I recently wrote an article entitled Survival Cards Could Save Your Life. In this article, there are links to examples of survival-related playing cards. There are also card games available like the Conflicted Card Game, which focuses on surviving the apocalypse scenarios. They currently have a new Kickstarter project for a board game, which you can see on their Kickstarter project page. So look out for signs that it's working. I've been using the tips mentioned above in, any, in my attempt to get my family more interested in prepping, and it's slowly working. I know this because I have experienced the following results. The other day my son came to me and said, Dad, I have been reading some of your posts and noticed a spelling error. While I thought to myself, he read it off his own back, that's progress. My daughter saw a news report on the outbreak of the plague in Madagascar and also on the reported post-apocalyptic antibiotic crisis. She turned to me and said, Dad, didn't you just write about those issues? 
Now, she has not read my articles, but has obviously heard me talk about them, and it's stuck. Another great sign that she is aware of the issues that face us all. I visited my parents the other day and was pleasantly surprised when my father asked me how my blog was doing. This gave me the perfect opportunity to discuss prepping with him. My son recently liked some of my articles that I posted on Facebook. This is, a, this is great. Not only is he reading them, he's liking and sharing them. My wife helped me write a post, Dr. ABC Emergency Resuscitation, and has since asked me how well did the article do. She is now getting involved and more interested. All of the above signs prove it is not impossible to turn your family into preppers. So how to turn your family into prepper summary. There's no absolute guarantee you will be able to turn everyone in your family into preppers, but perseverance will be the key. In order to turn your family into preppers, consider the tips above as pieces of a jigsaw. While on their own, each piece would have minor impacts with regard to changing your family's approach. When all pieces are put together, you have a very good chance of solving the puzzle and turn your family into preppers. After all, let's face it, when it comes down to it, even if you can't turn your family into preppers, you probably are going to be prepping for them anyway. I know I am. So it's wor worth trying to get them on board at an early stage as opposed to when it could be too late. If, you have any, if you've had any success in this area yourself with tips that I had not mentioned, feel free to use the comment section below to let me and my readers know. And so uh, there's three comments you can come and check out, and then a, a lot of other links in here. <clears throat> I was uh, I was thinking the other day. I hadn't thought about this one in a long time, but uh, when I was getting into prepping, uh, of course, you know, there's a lot of things I was thinking of and considering, and and uh, you know, uh, I, I was starting to get to the point where while wow, the the world is pretty jacked up and uh, it could fall apart in any, in any moment. And really, it could. It's just really been prolonging, which is good for all those who are new to prepping and, and those of us who you know, are, are wanting to continue to, to uh, tighten up our preps. But there was this one day I remember where my wife looked at me and she said, hey, you're becoming a little... I was, we were, I was in the, the living room. I was going to our bedroom. And she looked at me. She said, I can't remember what I said. Uh, there was something that I had said or I was doing something. And she said, you're, you're becoming a little fanatical. And I kind of stopped and I looked at her and I said, in, and by this point, we, you know, we were married probably 15 years. I said, you've known me for you know, all these years. When have you ever known that I've been fanatical about anything you know, other than my faith, right? Other than my faith, when have you ever known me to be any you know, go-to extremes? I think that's what it said, not fanatical. She said, uh, you're going to, the, to an extreme or something like that. And I told her, when have I ever done anything extreme you know, uh, to that point? And that really got her thinking because she's a thinking person. She, you know, she stopped and she started thinking like, you know what? He's not an extreme person. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very calculated when I do things. I, I think things through. I, I'm uh, patient. I don't just go spend money whenever, you know, I, I want something. Uh, you know, and so she was able to think that through a little bit and say, you know what? Um, he's never shown me ever before that he was an extremist or fanatical or any, any of that kind of stuff. And so maybe there is something, maybe there is something that he is seeing or understanding that I really don't have yet. And uh, that's where I think that was kind of like the turning point there. And then we did the uh, after Armageddon thing. So there's going to be opportunities there that, that arise. You know, uh, I like to hear that uh, the website this article is talking about. You don't don't try to force it down someone's throat. I know when you are you are starting to prep. 
one of the, the things is you want to talk about it with other people who understand you. That's the hard part. Uh, so many preppers believe in, you know, they, they've got the OPSEC thing, op operational security. I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, I don't want people to know that I'm a prepper because I don't want them to know that I have supplies in my house. Or and then the other side of that is I don't want them to think I'm a prepper because, uh, you know, I, I don't want them to think I'm a kook, right? I'm one of those crazy doomsday preppers people, right? And they start laughing at you. So, um, you know, Pete, you know, a lot of preppers are very, very quiet about their preparedness, but they're, they're learning all this stuff. They're looking at uh, the Internet. They're seeing how crazy the world is, and they want to talk to people about what's going on. And they really don't have, unless they, you know, they, they find someone, uh, it, it's very hard to, to get that out and to fill that need that you have to, uh, to talk about it. So that's why I think it's it's important to uh, if you don't have someone that you can talk to and you can share with, come over to the Facebook group. Um, you know, you can go to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, click on free Facebook group. It'll get you over there, and uh, you ask to join it. And uh, you know, you, you you come in and you can lurk around for a little bit, but or you can just start you know. Uh, Joining in in the conversation and asking questions, and no one's going to belittle you. No one's going to make fun of you. No one's going to do that. If they, if they, if anyone would come in and start doing that, I'd boot them very quickly because that's not the kind of community that I'm looking for. And I, I really, I don't want to have all the answers. You know, I don't want to be the one that has all the answers. There's a lot of people with with good experience and a lot of advice that when you drop something down and you have a question that uh, that they provide uh, some some advice and answers for you. So uh, I like to chime in every once in a while, but you know I'm definitely I, I can't be on Facebook all the time. Uh, I do spend more time there in that group than anywhere else, even on the Facebook uh, page, the Prepper website Facebook page. I spend really most of my time in the Facebook group, but uh, and in my church group as well. But uh, you know there's there's a lot of good stuff there. Um, we I know that we've been talking about. It. I'm looking for November to maybe do another Houston meetup. Um, I, I, you know, we had a good time. I said we would do another one like in September or October, and it's just time's gotten away from me. I've been staying really busy, but I'm looking for November. We talked about maybe a Saturday morning getting together for some breakfast and uh, just talking shop, you know, uh, being able to, to do that. Uh, last time after we had it, I got an email from a, from a, a couple. It was like, hey, let us know next time you're doing it. We'd like to show up. So I have uh, I have emails of people and just I'd let them know. I, I know some of you are listening to the podcast here. So if you're in the Houston or greater Houston area and that's something that you might be interested in, go ahead and hit me up and uh, I'll you know let you know when uh, when that day is going to come around. Uh, sometime in November on a Saturday, we'll have some breakfast and and do that. But there might be an opportunity for you to do that in your town, in your area. Um, there are a lot of gateway drugs, you know, or gateways to preparedness. Uh, you know, gardening is a gateway. Uh, firearms is a gateway. And so, uh, you know, maybe even even karate, you know, or martial arts could be self-defense, could be uh, uh, definitely uh, a gateway into preparedness where people would be a little bit more open because you're starting to have that mindset. Uh, that might, you're starting to get that mindset there. So uh, places where you can look. All right, so that's prepperbits.com. All right, so every uh, uh, for the, the Thursday podcast, I try to do a conflicted scenario. So Prepper Bits, the Prepper Bits article that we just read, uh, mentioned conflicted. And conflicted uh, is a card game, like you mentioned, and it has scenarios that uh, you can use to uh, you know, kind of war game and think through 
what you would do. So if you have young kids listening to this, um, you know, you might not want, I mean, it's not, there's not anything crazy here, but uh, maybe the topic might be a little too much for them. So uh, you might want to, you know, maybe pause it and then go to another room or, or what have you on this one. But uh, I'll let you be the judge of, the, of that. So this scenario here is, uh, I entitled it, How Valuable Is Your Dead? What Would You Do? So remember, when, when we do a conflicted scenario, and when people come over to the website and they leave their answers like what they would do, um, a lot of the time they're like, well, I would never catch myself in this situation. Well, yeah, right. The, 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 the whole purpose of this is not necessarily to take your 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 current situation that you're in here, all your preps and all your preparedness and all your gear, and transfer them to the scenario. The idea is to look at the scenario the way that it's written, and then with your 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 knowledge that you have, how would you play that out? What would you do there? Not I would never catch myself in that situation, but if you did, if you were in that situation, with what you know, how would you? play that out. And so hopefully it kind of stretches you, kind of gets you thinking, uh, gets you, you know, where, where, you know, uh, maybe even uh, gets you thinking in a, in a direction that you've never really thought before. And then, so if you'd like, uh, I'd like to welcome you to come over to edthatmatters.com. I'll link to it in the show notes uh, and, and you can come straight there and you can leave your answer. A lot of people have been doing that uh, from Prepper website. And so, um, you know, that's always interesting. So you could come back a little bit later on and see what other people have said. So here's the scenario for uh, for this week. Uh, conflicted, again, like I said, how valuable is your dead? So let me read this one. A traveling witch doctor approached you and he is paying well in junk and silver, in junk, silver and ammo for livers of the deceased. There are plenty of dead all around and you feel this individual isn't a threat to the living. To be so close to the bloated, rotting corpses would put you at risk of getting several types of diseases. But you and your camp are in desperate need of more ammo and barter items. Would you desecrate the dead of your own for your own profit or not? So again, which doctor comes in? He wants to grab the livers of the deceased. He'll give you junk silver and ammo for it, and uh, you need to you need to think through. Would you allow him to to do that? Um, you're concerned because the bloated body, the bloated corpses, um, can pose a, a, a serious risk to you, and uh, you know you would come away with this uh, with a disease. So would you desecrate? Allow him to desecrate the bodies, uh, possibly of your own loved ones, for uh, for your own profit. Or, or not, what would you do? So that's a conflicted scenario there. Um, you know, there might be an easy answer and there might not be an easy answer. Um, you got to really kind of think about that one. So uh, like I said, you can uh, kind of just think that one through or you can come over to Ed That Matters and you can leave your comments in the comment section of what you would do uh, in, in this scenario here. All right, guys, thanks so much for uh, hanging with me on this Thursday uh, for the Thursday podcast, episode 172. Uh, really appreciate uh, everyone's support of the podcast. Hey, if you get a chance, come over to episode 172 and drop me a line in the comments section, or you can always hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Always love connecting with listeners. Hey, also, if you get a chance, I'd really appreciate it if you share out uh, the podcast 
with your friends, maybe on uh, social media or word of mouth or you know email. Uh, we make it really easy for you on the on the podcast on, on the episode uh, episode podcast. Oh my gosh, I can I can say this. It, it can come out. I promise you. Uh, you make it very easy for you on the website to share this out, and uh, so you know you can do that, and that greatly helps uh, helps us as well. All right. So with that, choose to live a more self reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.